Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. In order to make this morning helpful and meaningful for each one of us, I'd like you to do a little bit of personal research and um, kind of flick up some of the old files in your memory. Uh, Files that kind of have ended up in the too hard to process bin or experiences that have been such an extreme challenge for you. Uh, Things like you might have questions still about what happened or what didn't happen. Those times when you believed that you were doing the right thing, but it turned out wrong. Perhaps these days you've been thinking, well, I really did get that wrong. I don't know what was wrong. Possibly the sorts of experiences that you've put them in a box, and you've put the lid on the box, and you've put it up on a shelf way out of sight or in a dark corner. But certainly in the too hard to deal with basket. Now, I'm not going to ask you to tell us all about those experiences because we could be here for a while. Uh, But please hold on to those moments. And as we go through um, uh, this process this morning, I believe that Holy Spirit wants to touch our hearts in those places and in those experiences and maybe bring some perspective and some healing or some restoration so that our faith in Jesus will grow. Um, Usually these type of experiences rob us of trust. They rob us of faith. They help um, build roadblocks to obedience. And as we learn to trust him more, as we learn to clear the way, then we will find we can respond to greater obedience to him. Recently, I saw a clip of this type of incident in the TV series, The Chosen. Uh, You may have seen a bit of those uh, series, but the producers have created backstories um, uh, to some of the people and some of the events that happened in and around Jesus. Um, some of the disciples and some of his followers, backstories for all those kind of things. I love backstories. Uh, when Shane Willard was here, he told us an awful lot about Nineveh and uh, the backstory, if you like, the history of what was going on at Nineveh. And whoa, that was shocking. If you were here, that was. I ended up thinking, Jonah, you're the man. You're the man I would be in that situation. Because I tell you, I'd have been walking the other way from Nineveh, having known what they were doing and having heard the call of God, I would have been out of there, just like Jonah. I grew up believing Jonah was a naughty, disobedient prophet who deserved to be swallowed by a fish. That's what I grew up believing. But it was not true, and so I love backstories because they give us a perspective on uh, an environment. And in this TV series, they, they've thought to bring, they've uh, created the backstories to bring some of the characters and some of the events to life. Now, where the um, 
a TV series touches, um, or whether, where it touches the characters and the incidents, they're quite accurate. But the backstories are just that. They're backstories. They may not have happened. They are built on a certain amount of evidence, but they're backstories. And I love that. And the incident I want to take a look at is Nathaniel meeting up with Jesus. And the backstory that they've created is that Nathaniel was a very committed and a very loyal and a, and a very brilliant Jewish young man who had studied and worked very hard to be an architect. And he quite uniquely, it seems, uh, has, has landed a contract by the Romans to design, to design and oversee the construction of a building that he had dreamed about and planned for, and he just he'd put his heart and soul into it. And we pick up the story partway through the construction of the building, and you can hear the work going on in the background on the construction site, and here's Nathaniel in a room on the side of the, of, of the construction site, and he's having a heated argument with the foreman. And both of them are trying to um, assert their authority to make decisions. And the argument is about how, the, how long the, the concrete needs to be left to be strong. Because Nathaniel's making the point that if you don't leave it long enough, it's going to be weak and collapse. And it's not ha- going to have the strength that it needs to be. Well, in the middle of this, there's suddenly a huge crash outside of the, of the, of the office. And um, there are cries of pain. And so they both rush out to have a look and then they are confronted with this heap of rubble because part of the building under construction has collapsed. And the end result is that people are injured. Nathaniel is devastated. His business is ruined. And... Um, It's just a mess. And here's a clip of Nathaniel under a fig tree trying to work out and trying to process all that has just happened. So now we pick up the story from the scriptures that says in John 1, 45 to 49, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about the... Uh, whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel said. Come and see, said Philip. And as they approached Jesus, Jesus said, here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity, meaning no fraud, no deceit or cunning. How do you know me? said Nathanael. And Jesus said, I saw you while you're under the fig tree before Moses called you. And then Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I saw you, Jesus said. And I take that to mean that he saw Nathanael, not just physically, not perhaps like you're walking through the mall and you see a friend of yours. And you say, hi, well, I saw so-and-so. That's what we say. No, no, Jesus saw him. And this, I believe, means I saw your pain. I saw your disappointment. I saw your agony. I saw your frustration. I saw your anxiety. I saw you. 
But Jesus also saw the man of integrity, of honesty. I saw your desire and your efforts to do the right thing, to do the best things, to do the things to use your abilities and and God-given gifts for the greater good. Jesus saw Nathaniel, the whole thing. And I find that rather moving because in those difficult moments in my life, it usually feels like just at that critical moment, Jesus was looking the other way. Uh, He was distracted by somebody else's prayer. Uh, Perhaps it was another calamity that needed his attention or somebody else that had a bigger need than mine, and he missed seeing my struggle. He missed seeing my disaster. Have you ever felt like that? I thought so. We don't talk about those too much, do we? That's sad. But here's the first point for this morning. Oh, let's catch up. Jesus sees me. In these moments, that is very hard to believe. But it's true. A number of years ago, Carolyn and I set out on a trip with a a, a number of things in mind to achieve. Firstly, to have a two-day break in Singapore to visit my younger brother, Philip, who was an architect And at the time, he was in Dubai consulting on a large development uh, project to spend time with our daughter, Krista, who flew to Dubai from London, where she was working. And then the three of us would meet up with Meryl, which was Carolyn's sister in Addis Ababa, um, who was working with the mission organization SIM. Then we would have traveled down to Marquee, Uh, a remote area in the southern part of Ethiopia near the Kenyan border, our overall purpose was to support, to support and encourage Meryl in her mission work uh, by helping her with some simple repairs to her house, uh, meet the local villagers and get to know them and see the work that she was doing, and also to sort out a vegetable garden for her to supplement her food source. Then on our way back to Addis Ababa, we'd stop at Lagao. Uh, and deliver a parcel of knitted jerseys to Kim, who was in charge of a mission, uh, a maternity unit, and then, of course, back home to Addis Ababa and back to New Zealand. Well, that was the plan. Carolyn, after 24 hours, uh, 24 hours after we landed in Addis Ababa, Carolyn and I were on an emergency medical evacuation flight back to Dubai in the early hours of the morning. A few days later, Carolyn was diagnosed with a blood clot lodged in her lung as a result of the long-haul flights from New Zealand or Christchurch to Addis Ababa. And uh, some of the darkest moments uh, for me came during that four-hour flight back to Dubai, knowing, knowing that If this was a blood clot, which hadn't been confirmed, then and it decided to move, it would probably end her life. Added to all that drama, the insurance company, who had paid for the medical evacuation costs, decided to abandon us. And so here we were 
in, with Carolyn in the um, A&E department of the Dubai Hospital, um, and they wanted to move her into the intensive care unit to uh, continue treatment just as soon as we paid 5,000 New Zealand dollars. However, although we had the funds available, both our credit cards failed because of different international finance transaction issues and, oh, just, it just went on. And things that were totally beyond our control. When I finally paid the money after several seriously frustrating and anxious hours, things started to slowly move. And in one of my um, emails back to a friend in New Zealand, I said something like this. How do you make sense of this mess? All we set out to do was to visit family and help and encourage a mission work, believing, <coughs> excuse me, believing that we were being obedient to the nudges of the Holy Spirit. And we end up with this whole plan absolutely stuffed and a medical bill which ended up being <coughs> just, just over 18,000 New Zealand dollars. Now, there's a whole lot of backstory to all those details, but that's the main point. At that particular time, though, um, I was slowly beginning to emerge from a 10-year-long dark tunnel of what I now see is, was depression. And we, we were being obedient to the call of God, and we'd spent 25 years of our lives in full-time youth ministry. And although we had seen some amazing things happen, there was just so much more to be done, and I just couldn't do it. My dreams were shattered. My prayers were unanswered. I was numb. It had been a long, dark time with no sense of God's presence. And now this. During the next couple of days, I struggled and complained, and I cried, cried out to God, even though I wondered if he was listening. And in that time, a prophecy came, came as part of an email. And here's some of the prophetic words and I've written this on a slide just in case I can't get through it. <laughs> because it still speaks to me today. And it started, I see you. No wonder I love what Jesus said to Nathaniel. I know every nook and every cranny and every crevice of your life I've looked at the bleakness of your despair and understood the darkness of your soul. I stood beside you at the graveyard of your dreams. I was the ember that would not go out. I was the softest breeze that touched your spirit. Point one, Jesus sees me. In these kind of experiences, I do need to remember that, but it is so hard to believe. And the second point is like it. 
Jesus has said, I will never leave you nor abandon you. And that is from way, way back. Do you know that comes from as far back as Deuteronomy? God will never fail you nor abandon you. In Matthew 28, 20, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Hebrews 13, 5, God said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Especially in those times when there is no evidence of his working, nor any sense of his presence. When we obey and it all turns out wrong, Jesus sees me. He sees my heart. He sees my motivation. He sees my desires regardless of the outcome. And he will never, ever, ever, never, never abandon us. Despite what it's like. I wish those words would sink deep, deep, deep into my heart. In Luke 15, Jesus tells the parable of the father who had two sons. And usually it's referred to as the the parable of the prodigal son. Actually, I think that's a misleading title. Um, Because I believe this parable is about the father heart of God. It's the father who's the key character in this setting. Because the father never abandoned his son. Even though the son had abandoned his father and his family, he did not. And that is the heart of God. Suffering is part of following Jesus, as Paul reminds us in Romans 8.17. Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. That's the good news. But if we share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered. And not just his suffering on the cross, but his incredible frustration with, with some of the people that he, he, he had contact with on earth. At times he was angry. At times he shed tears. And at times he felt abandoned when he cried out to his father on the cross. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Hebrews 5, 7 and 8. If Jesus learned obedience by suffering, why should we expect to escape suffering as we seek to obey him? Uh, Romans 5 uh, We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. It produces character. It produces hope. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. And so this morning, the third point is nothing can separate us from his love. I'm convinced in Romans 8.38, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, 
neither height or depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Absolutely nothing can separate us from his love. And when I obey the nudges of Holy Spirit, I generally expect things to turn out sweet as. Do we not? And sometimes it does. And praise the Lord for that. But regardless of what happens, I can be absolutely sure that Jesus sees me. That Jesus will never abandon me. That nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing. It's very simple. It's quite profound. Not because of my brilliance, but because it's the truth. It is profoundly true. And so as we wrap this up this morning, I'd like you to pick up that thought or those experiences that you researched earlier on when we started. Can you do that? And then can you imagine the Spirit of God here this morning whispering these things deep into your heart? Would that make a difference? Jesus sees me. He will never abandon me. And nothing, nothing can separate me from his love. Bring those experiences to Jesus. I don't know how you want to do this. Do you want to? Have your eyes closed? Do you want to find an isolated, quiet place in this auditorium? Do you want to be a little bit distant, separated from the person next to you? Maybe, I don't know. Whatever you do, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to whisper these things in your heart, in those deep, dark boxes that are sitting on the shelf in those moments you don't want to think about to those unanswered questions which will still be unanswered today. But your spirit will be stronger because and your trust will grow because you're able to clear part of the pathway and respond in obedience to the things that he wants you to do and respond to.
the quietness of these moments, Lord, do your work. the band to come back up and you may want to carry that on or not but I would like us to actually get into a few small groups not to talk about our experiences but a group of no more than three or four people because any more and uh, it gets too long and involved half the time so just with uh, a, a group of three or four people and if you would answer the couple of questions here one is which one of these three resonates and touches you or touches you this morning and then I'll put another question up and while the band is just quietly doing whatever you want to do <laughs> um, uh, shall we move into that? Because, I mean, the, the problem I have is that I would just love to, to walk around the whole place and say to you individually, Jesus sees you. I would love to do that. The Holy Spirit will do that. I'd love to say, you're not abandoned. I'd love to say... You're not separated from God's love, no matter what happens. And I'm praying and trusting that in our groups, some of those things will become a little clearer. Because it's one thing to hear something, but in five minutes out the door, you've probably forgotten it. But if you've actually talked a little bit about it, you probably remember a little bit more. And that's the purpose of why we do this kind of thing. It helps process the stuff in our lives. And it helps drown out the voices of so much stuff we hear today so we can focus on the truth. So can we do that? Just move into groups of um, three or four people. If you want to be with someone you know, that's fine. If you don't, go and find someone else. Go and find a complete stranger maybe. And... Um, one of these three things res resonates most with you.